You are listening to Squid and the Ultimate Leafs fan. Hello, Canada and hockey fans of the United States and Newfoundland. And an extra big hello to Canadian servicemen overseas. Hello, everyone. I'm Mike Wilson, the Ultimate Leafs fan. And joining me as always, my winger, Ricky Squid Vive. Squid, our guest today, you didn't play with him, but you've spent a lot of time doing Legends games with him. A very popular Maple Leaf, Darcy Tucker. Yeah, real funny guy, great guy, and uh, him and his brother-in-law, Shane Corson, played with them a bunch of times uh, in alumni games. We, they're, they're, they always make it fun. I mean, you know, that's what we try to do as alumni when we go out and do those things, is not only entertain the fans and sign autographs, but make sure we have fun doing it. Yeah, and those guys, I'll tell you, Shane and Darcy are certain guys like to have fun. So uh, listen, uh, you know, we'll, we'll be getting into that with him in just a short time uh, way. But um, um, our Leafs, we're end of the week here. We're, this is uh, the 20th, though. They play Montreal tonight. Um, the last three games, I guess, can be summed up with the old Clint Eastwood movie, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, and probably in that order. Uh, but the bad, the sum of the parts paint the picture but the results tell the tale, meaning five of six points ain't bad. Not bad at all. And uh, you look at them now sitting, you know, pretty comfortably at the top of the Northern, whatever, Scotia, Canadian division, whatever you want to call them. There's, everybody yeah. calls them something different, but, um, you know, and they're, they're sitting pretty comfortable there. I mean, uh, hopefully that doesn't filter into them uh, becoming comfortable because I don't think they have the luxury of doing that. Uh, but they're, they're firing pretty good right now on all cylinders uh, with the exception of that collapse uh, with the five, one lead. But you know, other than that, I mean, they're playing some pretty darn good hockey and uh, I'm, I'm enjoying it. I think, uh, you know, this is, this is a real, opportunistic year for the Toronto Maple Leafs right now because if, if they go back to the old divisions and they've got Tampa, Florida, Boston and their division, it's going to be a little bit tougher. Well, it's no coincidence if you look at the way the league is spread out with the four divisions that uh, four of the Leaf foes or three, yeah, well, three of the Leaf foes of the four of yeah. them, Florida, Tampa and Boston are all leading or within a point of their respective divisions. So, um, it just states again how strong the division Toronto plays in to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, I, it, it might be, I would say right now it's probably the strongest division in the, in the entire league. I mean, I don't think any of the other ones match it. And uh, uh, so, you know, that kind of tells you when everybody's talking about all oh, the Leafs that can't get first place in home ice and all this kind of stuff. Well, that, there's a reason for that because, they're playing against good hockey teams all the time because they're all in the same division. And I know you and I have been talking a little bit uh, the last couple of days uh, about, about the lineup. And I know it's, it's, it's tough, and, uh, but people are always saying, you know, we're picking on players, teams in first place, first overall in the NHL. But you always want to, you know, advance and be better because, again, we don't know how good the competition will be at the end of the year because the other divisions are all going through the same thing. And it was nice to see Tavares and Nylander both score last night who have been slumping. And, you know, I, I'd like to see a couple tweaks to the lineup. But one of them I'd like to see is maybe a guy like Travis Boyd been given more of an opportunity like Wayne Simmons was. 
maybe playing him with Tavares on one side and taking Mikhailov and putting him on the other side and taking Nylander away with him from him for a while to take the pressure off them to score. Because you notice they both scored when they both weren't on the ice last night with each other. And maybe give a little more veteran presence, not that Tavares doesn't have, maybe with Spezza playing with Nylander for a little bit and throw somebody with him just to shake it up. And you see Keith does at the end of the game switch the lines up quite a bit, but maybe I, I'd like to see Boyd get a little bit of a chance because he does have some hands. He's a bigger guy. And I just don't like seeing the fact that Tavares is getting pounded. He's doing all the heavy lifting. I like to see maybe take somebody to lift that little burden off. And it's not going to be William Leander because that's the type, not the type of player he is. So I would like to maybe see, you know, that maybe come into the lineup at some point. And when Simmons gets back, of course, throw him in there somewhere. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of good moving parts, uh, which, which I guess is probably a plus, really. I mean, because you can move guys, you know, and, and all of a sudden you you have four pretty good lines coming at you if you start moving guys around. And, you know, Sheldon Keefe has got a lot of different options. And I agree. Mm-hmm. I, I would like to see uh, a couple of guys, like you say, Boyd and somebody else put with Tavares. Uh, obviously Simmons when he comes back because Johnny, you know, that he, that's the way Johnny plays, but he needs other guys that play that way, get in there and, and retrieve pucks like uh, like a hymen and, and that sort of thing, which I was surprised he wasn't in the lineup last night. I heard I he, got, he, he got hit with the puck the other night. He got hurt with oh, the puck. Did he? Okay. Um, but I, I think that gives him a lot of flexibility. Well, you know, Tavares is one of these guys whose whole career has made players better around him. So, I mean, it, it, it just it, it would fit his 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 uh, blueprint to a, to a T. So, I, I just love to see that experiment at some point and give that a shot. And I'm sure the way Keith is moving things around, we may see that. So, we'll watch with interest. And now, leading into tonight, now we have uh, 34 is playing exceptional hockey right now. And every goal is going in. Oh, every yeah. shot is going in. Um, 16 goals in 17 games. Those are pretty blistering numbers that are turning heads throughout the National Hockey League. But how about this for our little bit of trivia this year, this week, uh, Squid? February the 20th, 1918, Montreal's Joe Malone scored his seventh hat trick in a 20-game schedule. They beat the Toronto Arenas 5-4. But how about that? Seven hat tricks in 20 games. He ended up pretty with 44. Impressive. Pretty impressive. So there I, you go. So just, uh, I don't care when it was or who it was or who was in the league. <laughs> Seven hat-tricks in 20 games is pretty darn good. Not bad. Not bad. And 44 goals in 20 games. So until 99 came along, I believe. So, And in 1944, in this day, on February the 20th, Chicago and Toronto, here's one for you, played to a scoreless tie and no penalties. And the game was over in an hour and 55 minutes. Wouldn't that be nice? Oh, boy, that would be so nice. It would be. But you got the 18-minute intermission, so I, I don't think there's a chance that that's ever going to happen again. Now, speaking of which, now, days in history. Now, I would be remiss if I didn't mention this, because normally we record two days before, so usually Thursday. Now, Thursday was the 18th of February. And that day... Well, for both of us on two fronts that are both near and dear to us. One, Deb's birthday is February the 18th. So that I cannot ever forget. And I even have to write that down and carry it in my pocket and put it on my phone so I don't forget. And you, my friend, 
1980 on February 18th was a pretty big change in your life as well. Yeah, that was the day that Billy Lego and I got traded to the Toronto Maple Police for Tiger Williams and Jerry Butler. And it's a day that I will never forget, probably for ever. Um, uh, maybe when I'm older and, and start forgetting things, I might forget about it. But, <laughs> but it was a, a it was kind of a, a tough day, but at the same time, it was a great day because I knew that I was going somewhere where I was going to get a chance to play more than I was getting in Vancouver. So, um, and lo and behold, a lot of great things came out of that. Well, and we heard Hawk Turnbull last week talk about the turmoil that was going on here at the time. And you guys just walked in as it was all being blown up. So you were given, it just kind of worked for you guys because you guys just, and it's good on you guys to seize the opportunity and to run with it. And you both did. Yeah, well, that was the thing. I mean, uh, you know, when you see all all Daryl's buddies and everybody getting moved out and everything's kind of turmoil around Toronto and then you get traded there and you're thinking about that, but you're trying to put that aside and going, yeah, but, you know, with that comes the opportunity for us to grab a hold of this thing and be part of going forward in this organization. And that's exactly what Billy and I did. And you guys did it very commendably and terrific. And uh, they're already talking now about that uh, one kid wearing number 34 beat one of your records of 54 goals, maybe as soon as this year. So, you know, that's never going to stop. They're always, he's always going to be on the chase. And we'll have him on here the day he does eventually break your record and we're never going to jinx him. But when he does do it one day, we'll have him on. We'll have a, a good talk between you guys about it. Well, hopefully the day he does it, I'll be able to go down and, and visit him at the rink and, and uh, like Frank Mahalvas did for me, which was, yes. was a big thrill for me that he came down the next day to practice and got pictures taken with me and congratulated me and everything. And, and hopefully I get the, the opportunity. I mean, who knows? We might even see the first Maple Leaf to score 50 and 50 this year, you know, because they're you know only what? playing 56. And uh, the Canadian division so far... Uh, pandemic has not really, you know, hurt that division as it has other divisions in the U.S. So they may get their 56 games in. And, and he, I mean, who knows? He's on pace for, you know, 55, 56 goals the way he's going right now. Well, the way that kid plays, never say never. So we'll leave it no. at that. And uh, we'll, just, we'll just wish him the best moving forward and just keep winning, guys, and keep those pucks going in and out. Well, Speaking of the net, I think that's they're going to throw the net over you and I right now to, to end this. And let's bring our old friend Darcy Tucker on and hear what he has to say. Okay, Squid, our guest today enjoyed close to 16 years in the National Hockey League, originally a six-round draft pick of the Montreal Canadiens, spent a few years in Tampa, but really made a name for himself with the Toronto Maple Leafs, who endeared himself to the fans. He wasn't a big guy, played with big heart and lots of passion. Fan favorite, Darcy Tucker. Darcy, how are we doing today? I'm doing outstanding, uh, gentlemen. Uh, just sitting here watching it snow outside and uh, just getting, uh, getting ready to talk to you, gentlemen. Uh, it's uh, uh, an honor for me to be on with you, both of you. And as you know, I uh, really appreciate uh, Ricky. We've become really good friends over the years, and uh, this will be a lot of fun. Ricky, how do, what do you say to that? Squid? Well, I, I got to tell you, uh, playing a lot of alumni games together and going on trips and all kinds of different things. It, it, it's a lot of fun. I mean, you know, I've gotten to meet a lot of guys I didn't play with uh, that 
played for the Maple Leafs over the years, and and you know, it's no different from one era to the other. They're they're all great guys, and we all have fun. I mean, we've been out to Newfoundland, Halifax together, and and it's been a a, a ton of fun. Well, speaking of fun, I know I ran into this guy and his uh, and his uh, winger there, his uh, brother-in-law, and they do a lot of terrific work with the uh, you know Molson rivalry train and the throwback games and all that stuff. And let me tell you, these guys do have fun. That was with a capital F, that's for sure. So, and the <laughs> yeah. fans love it. You guys share the story. I, I look at the faces and the fans when I see you guys in the boxes, and the faces are just beaming. So it's just great work you guys are doing. And keep it up, guys. Um, I appreciate it. You got your look. So let's go back. You're a Western boy and enjoyed a stellar junior career in Kamloops. I mean, let's let's face it: winning one Memorial Cup, never mind three. I mean, my God, um, in four years you did this. But Gibbs, walk us through your playing career leading up to Kamloops and the success you guys had there in junior. You know, my my junior career in Kamloops was uh, quite interesting to say the least. Uh, you know, as a young guy, uh, I didn't think I was going to get the opportunity to play junior hockey. I, I wasn't drafted into the Western Hockey League. Uh, you know, they, they watched me on a uh, one of those handheld videos back in the day. Uh, it's not like our phones now where you can just hold them up and, and make a video for the general managers. So um, they put together a video and sent it to the general manager, Bob Brown, and uh, he liked what he saw. Um, and they invited me to training camp and... Somehow I went there and made the hockey club. It's uh, it's kind of a, a real strange story, but uh, it just goes to show you sometimes um, it's not um, it's not necessarily the same path for everybody. And uh, I had a different sort of path when it came to making that hockey club. And then you know I played with some outstanding players in junior hockey uh, right from the get go. Uh, Daryl Sador and Scott Niedermeyer were my first year. Um, our defensemen, like can you imagine having two stellar defensemen like that on your junior team. And then my last uh, two years uh, to get the opportunity to play with Shane Doan and Joe McGinley, most of the time on the same line. Um, gosh, uh, if you put together a junior hockey uh, uh, threesome of guys like that, uh, you know, your scouts are doing a pretty good job to find uh, players of that uh, caliber. And, I, I talk about uh, those two not only as good hockey players, but you look at them as human beings. Uh, you're not a captain of the National Hockey League for as long as they were by not being good uh, people. And um, we had some pretty good people there in Kamloops. That's fantastic. So, I mean, you're, you, you get drafted in the sixth round by Montreal, but leading into your draft year, what was your thought process about the upcoming draft and possibly playing pro hockey? Gosh, yeah, the draft was interesting for me, guys. Uh, my, you're going to get a kick out of some of this stuff because uh, leading up to the NHL draft, uh, you know, I'd scored uh, 90 points in the WHL. And, um, you know, my agent at the time said to me, I don't know if you're going to get drafted or not. Uh, so I said, well, if I'm not getting drafted, I'm not going. So I ended up uh, staying back in Kamloops and graduating with my graduating class uh, at school. And uh, I woke up uh, that next uh, morning and uh, happened to flip on the draft. It was, you know, probably halfway through the fifth round at the time and hadn't been picked. So I just, you know, sat down and watched a little bit of it. And then I was uh, actually making some something to eat and uh, my phone rang and it was my agent. He goes, I think Montreal's going to pick you right now. And I'm like, 
are you serious? <laughs> and he, he goes, yeah, I think they are. Cause he was at the draft. And uh, so Montreal ended up picking me in the sixth round that year. And uh, it's kind of crazy. I was sitting on my couch uh, eating a sandwich uh, when it happened. And uh, you know, it's, it's not a, not a thing that uh, most guys go through where they're sitting on their couch eating a sandwich when they get drafted to the national hockey league. So it's uh, it's an interesting story to say the least. Well, then you had a couple yeah. years left to play junior. So did that, sorry, sorry, Rick, you go in a second, but did that no, motivate you just to play even harder going into your last couple of years? Um, I, I don't know. I, I, junior for me was just a blur. I, I had so much fun playing junior hockey. It just seemed like uh, we were so good that everything came relatively easy for us as a, uh, as a group of players. I didn't really have the motivation for me was always there, you know, a small town kid from, you know, a town of 25 people, uh, you know, growing up on a farm, motivation was always there for me. It was, do you want to go back to the farm and, and, uh, and farm, or do you want to play hard and have, have a life in hockey? So the motivation wasn't uh, that difficult for me, uh, but uh, I had fun playing junior. It just seemed like every game you went into, we had an opportunity to win the hockey game um, and do something great. And I played with such good players that it made it so much easier for me. Well, I made it out to your hometown when we played an alumni game out there, which was, now what was the name of the, the motel we stayed in? I can't remember, but. Uh, I think it was, uh, was it the Goose, the Great Goose or something? Yeah, like that? yeah, it was. <laughs> and I tell you, the it, boys was freezing. Freezing. It, it, it was freezing. I remember my room, there was no heat whatsoever. And uh, I asked him to fix it when we went to the game. When I came back, it hadn't been fixed. I had to wear all my clothes, my jacket and everything underneath the, the seat. But going back to your junior, I mean, you know, going to the Memorial Cup four times. I mean, that the only other guy I know of that did that was Stan Spiel with New Westminster. And yep. I think they only won one, but... And to win three out of four, that, that's pretty impressive. Uh, it must, I can see why it was a blur and so much fun because all you guys did was win. And, and I, I mean, I can't even imagine. That, that must have been an awesome feeling. And then going to the draft, uh, I had a similar uh, thing happen where that was a year of the WHA merging with the NHL. So the draft was pushed back to August. And it was just a phone draft. So here I am sitting at home. Uh, well, I was at the fire hall with all my buddies and everything waiting for the phone call. And, you know, it wasn't on TV or anything back then. I mean, we're talking 1979. So uh, there's been a lot of changes since then. So, Darcy, you go to Montreal and you, you ended up in Fredericton. And you have a big year there. So walk us through your year of Fredericton and end up being Rookie of the Year. I mean, that must have then given you some confidence that uh, things were looking up for you to play pro hockey. Well, it was a tale of two years, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, I went to Montreal um, being this uh, highly touted junior player that had just won these Memorial Cups and put up a bunch of points. And I went in there thinking, man, this is going to be just as easy as junior. I'm going to walk in here and play for the Montreal Canadiens. And wow, it was an eye-opening experience to be out there on the ice with those guys. It was so much faster. Everything happened at a different uh, pace. Um, and I got sent to Fredericton. And you, anything in life uh, for the first time is never easy. So I went down to Fredericton and 
now I'm paying my own bills. I'm making my own meals. There's no billets there to look after you. Uh, um, you're having to do things away from the rink that uh, you're not normally accustomed to. And I, I was in shock. Like my system was in shock. I didn't, uh, I didn't understand it. Uh, you know, I played very poorly for the, basically the first two weeks or three weeks of the season. I was, I wasn't very good. Uh, I think I had six goals at Christmas. Um, and my dad called me at Christmas and he said, listen, you got four days here between games, get on a plane, come home and bring your skates. I'm like, okay, bring my skates. So I brought my skates home and he said, listen, this is, this is the way it goes. You're going to go out in the ice uh, here at our local rink with your brother. I'm going to put my skates on and we're just going to have some fun and, and, and get some of this stuff out of your system. You, you just, you just got to have fun playing the game again. And uh, lo and behold, I went back after Christmas and the first two games, I, I scored a hat trick in the first game and I scored a hat trick in the second game. I had more goals or just as many goals in the first two games back after Christmas that I had uh, before Christmas. So sometimes it's just the, you just need to get away from the game and, and spend some time just being a kid again. And it felt great. And uh, the rest of the season went just like it, it did in junior. I, you know, I put up, I think in those last 30 games, I think I ended up with, at least 55 or 60 points and uh, that kind of catapulted me forward and I got called up to the big team played a few games uh, and kind of the rest is uh, is left in the background for that uh, year in Fredericton. It's great. Darcy, uh, is that kind of when the, at the end of that AHL season or maybe the next season when you kind of realize that okay you know what I am good enough to play with you. I mean there's everybody has that moment where or, or a period of time where, you know, they, they realize, okay, I am good enough to play with these guys. And was that for you in the, in the American League, or was that later when you went up to Montreal? I think for me, uh, the, the thought process was more so that, that playoff year. Um, you know, Montreal had sent um, the GM uh, down to watch us play in the playoffs, and I was – at the peak of my game at that point, I think I had uh, in the first round, I think I scored seven goals in the first round of the playoffs that year. And uh, it, it just, it seemed like everything was kind of firing on all cylinders. And uh, when I kind of got confirmation, you know, that things were going the right direction from the management, I think that was the kind of time when I, I felt like, okay, man, I can, I can really do this. Uh, they believe in me. I believe in myself. Um, you know, I finished off a good American hockey league season. Let's go home get in shape here and uh, get ready to go for the following season. And uh, everything just kind of fell in place. And when I walked into training camp the next year, um, you know, Mario Tremblay said to me, you're going to be here. You're going to be on the team. Let's uh, let's see what you got. And that was kind of my aha moment, I guess you would have to say. So you're with the big team. Was that, you know, did you really think you were going to get a really fair shot there and then eventually get moved to Tampa? Yeah, so that first year in Montreal was really good. Uh, good uh, learning experience. You know, I didn't. We had three pretty good centermen that I played behind: Pierre Turgeon, uh, Vincent Damfus, and Saku Koyu, who were our top three centermen. So for me to break into the NHL and be, you know, kind of brought along a little bit slowly, um, you know, I had the opportunity to play uh, uh, regularly uh, each and every game. I was in the lineup. Uh, it was the following season that things kind of fell apart in Montreal. Uh, when the new coach came in, uh, Lane Vigneault came in as the new coach. Uh, 
he liked um, speed and uh, skill uh, at a different pace than I played with, I guess. And uh, uh, so uh, I kind of fell apart from, from that point in time. And uh, I'd asked to be moved somewhere where I could get an opportunity uh, with somebody who believed in me. And um, uh, Jacques Demers had went down to Tampa and he was my first coach in Montreal and my first uh, kind of uh, training camps and stuff. And he brought me down there and that was, man, that was a different, he said that uh, the moment I got there, you're going to play 20 minutes a game. And he played me 20 minutes a game. I was like, <laughs> I went from playing eight to 20 overnight. And I was like, man, this, I got to find some different lungs here. I don't know, we need some oxygen tank on this bench. <laughs> That's kinda, you know where my career took off. Uh, you know, you have somebody who, extremely believes in you and, and gives you an opportunity it's uh it's a lot of fun as a hockey player you get that uh, love for the game back immediately well in tampa i was going to say i it's, it's it's basically a double question here for you the the um culture shock and playing there number one coming from montreal and i'll just tell you my little story at the time back then when you were playing there i didn't know who you were at the time by the way sorry Darce, but Worries. My kids are really young. <laughs> My kids are really young. And so I decided we were vacationing in the area. I said, so let's go to a game one night. So I'll take them to the game. And I thought, Tampa, not a lot of interest. I'll grab a couple of tickets at the front for like 10, 15 bucks. I arrive at the rink, no scalpers. I'm walking around. There's no ticket sellers anywhere to be seen to think, holy shit, even the sellers, like ticket guys won't show up here. So I have to go to the box office, pay like 50 or 60 bucks a ticket to get in. So I'm pissed at that. Go to the game. So we're watching the game, watching it. And, and I'm not saying it's just because you're on. You stood out that night. Like, you're on. You seem to be on the ice. You're just saying 20 minutes. You said, they said, who's this Tucker guy? Like, he's on the ice all the time. So I went and got a program. and looked you up. And I thought, okay. So I started following some of the players. Well, then all of a sudden, a couple months later, lo and behold, you're in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, it was uh, an interesting time when I got dealt to Toronto. Um, we were... Uh, we're in a process of kind of rebuilding there. Um, and uh, we obviously weren't going to make the playoffs that year as, as a team. And they wanted to rebuild kind of their, the way their team played. And um, Toronto was looking for some feistiness. They'd been in some wars with Philadelphia um, uh, on the ice and uh, they were looking for some sandpaper and some grit. And I remember it uh, vividly. We were at lunch, uh, Mike Sillinger and myself and, um, Back then, you had those old big brick cell phones, and uh, I didn't bring mine in. It was in the car, and Mike's phone rang, and uh, I thought, oh, my gosh, Mike just got traded because he's like, hi, Rick, and Rick Dudley was the general manager, and um, he goes, yeah, he's here in front of me, and I'm like, oh, it's me, (laughs) and I just (laughs) dropped the phone, and I'm like, okay, where am I going, and there was obviously uh, some talk about um, trades happening, and uh, it, it couldn't have happened to a better place. I was super excited. My wife's from Barrie, Ontario. Um, you know, it's uh, made a very easy transition to come to Toronto. Um, uh, we just had our first child. My wife was uh, pregnant with our second. Um, and uh, to come to Toronto, I'll never forget that opening night, uh, walking in Scotiabank Arena and, and getting the opportunity to play in front of those fans. Uh, you're coming from playing in front of, 8,000 people to 20,000 people and the place is all about hockey and, and, and Saturday nights and hockey night in Canada back again. Um, 
They were going to find out very soon who I was. I'll tell you that <laughs> I wasn't leaving anything to chance. I wanted to play here and I wanted to play here for a long time. Rick, you went through a similar getting situation that, coming from Vancouver. Yeah, getting to that part, uh, you know, you mentioned the grit and everything. That, and like, did you, did you play like that from the beginning or is that something you felt you had to add to your game to maybe be able to play at that highest level and, and work your way up and, and, you know, be a better player. Cause I mean, the diving into the bench against the senators and the, <laughs> the hits and the playoffs. I mean, I loved it. Don't get, don't get me wrong. I, I was doing Leafs TV, I think at the time and watching it and I loved it, but is that something that you personally, you know, felt you had to do because you weren't the biggest guy on the ice or is that the way you just always were? Well, Rick, for me, it was, um, I, I was as a kid, a very soft, uh, uh, personality, um, you know, but I really believed in everything my father told me. It, it, I had a special relationship with him. Uh, he played hockey at a high level. Um, my mom got pregnant with me and he came home from playing junior and ended his career. So I always had a special relationship with my father. So he always used to tell me if you're not doing what you need to do offensively on the ice you need to find a way to impact the game in any way possible and so when I played in Montreal um, they told me you're going to be a fourth line centerman and you're going to have to play gritty and you have to be hard to play against and you're going to have to do all these things and I just had to adapt my game and as you know it's a lot more fun riding around on a plane making NHL money than it is riding around on a bus making thirty thousand dollars a year so you better figure it out as a player and I, I find some today, sometimes today with today's players, they don't figure it out because they're not willing to adapt and change to the way they need to play to, to be effective. And, um, you know, so was I always like that? No, Rick, I, I, I definitely wasn't. I was a pretty soft uh, kid growing up. So, um, but like, like I said, I had a great relationship with my father. And if he said something, um, I took it as gospel. Well, you're still soft, because you're, you're a great guy, and, and I've, I've been with you a lot. You're still a soft guy, trust me. <laughs> Inside, anyway. Hey, Squid, remember when we had JR? We had JR in a while ago, and uh, so we brought up, of course, we have to talk about Toronto, and we brought up that night against Philadelphia. Oh, yeah. And I said to him, I think probably one of the hardest hits you've ever had to have had in your life was the one that Darcy Tucker led on you in that playoff game. I think it was in the opening couple of minutes. And I said, I pretty, I was at that game and I'm pretty sure Tucker started at center ice and targeted you. And he said, that is probably the hardest hit he ever had in his whole life. But the funniest part of the story, well, not for us as Leaf fans and you playing was the hit at the end of the game and squid you working for Leafs TV at the time. I made that call. Yeah. Now, do you remember the, obviously you remember that game Darcy, do you remember that whole sequence of everything happening? Yeah, I actually do. Um, you know, it was a pretty uh, physical series that we had with uh, Philadelphia. And um, yeah, I hit JR early in the game. Um, and, you know, obviously you're trying to take their best players and put them on notice that it's not going to be an easy night. Um, and then as the game progressed, it was a, a hard-fought game. And then in overtime, um, Kapanen was coming along the boards and – I just thought to myself, um, he's skating pretty fast. He gets by me here. Maybe they make a play uh, and and beat us. So I uh, took it in my hands to make sure he didn't get <laughs> didn't get by me. Uh, he didn't. He sure and, didn't. And the weird part, yeah, the weird part about that whole sequence is, 
people think it happened uh, like 10 seconds or 20 seconds later. I, I was already sitting on the bench. Uh, he, Kapanen had been out there for a good 22 or 23 seconds trying to get off the ice. And uh, we had picked up the puck and gone down the ice and Matt's had jumped on the ice and, and he ended up getting a high stick and cut for like five stitches. So when the puck went into the corner and I sat on the, sat down on the bench, the puck got rimmed around the boards and Brian Leach went to uh, save the puck at the blue line and it jumped over his stick. And then obviously Ronick had got on the ice uh, uh, for his shift and went down and scored the goal. So it wasn't like it happened 20 seconds later. It was like a good minute and a half. Scred, you called that for Leafs TV. Yeah, we were, I, I was with Leafs TV at the time. And, uh, well, you remember where our old alumni box used to be up in the, the third level. Well, that's, Right outside of that box is where we did our pre and post game shows with uh, who was there? Brian Duff was there. He was a host with me. And uh, you know what? I love doing that. I, I had a good time because I got to watch all the games. I got <laughs> it was it was a good era. It was there were good games and and you guys had a good hockey club. So I I loved it. I, I thought it was great that I got to do that. And uh, one of the things during that time was your coach and and. I think general manager for part of it, Pat Quinn. And I, I've done a lot of things with Pat uh, over the years at different things. And we would stay, like he was an unbelievable man. He loved to talk. He loved to talk about hockey. What was your relationship like with uh, Pat? Yeah, my, my relationship was, with Pat was extremely um, kind of like a father and son. Uh, and he, he was just a, such an amazing mentor and guider of people. Uh, he, he did things for guys that um, just upped their games. Uh, he let me be me. Uh, that's the one thing about Pat. He never gave me trouble for being uh, and doing things that were crossing the line. Um, I think maybe because he was a little bit that way as a player. Uh, he liked to ride the line like I did, uh, i.e. the Bobby uh, or yeah. um, You know, there's things in his uh, personality that matched my personality. And I say this to people all the time. I wouldn't be the same father, husband, um, uh, you know, uh, coach. When I do coach the young kids uh, without Pat Quinn's uh, mentorship and guidance. So just a great man. God rest his soul. I, I you know, he did a lot of things for a lot of people over the course of his time coaching. And th those people should be very thankful to Pat. They had the opportunity to be around Pat. Well, just if it makes you feel any better, by the way, to finish the JR story, he told us that's the be best goal he ever scored in his career, just to make you feel a little bit better, even though I know it won't. But he said <laughs> yeah. the favorite moment was the picture. I'm watching the highlight after is that when he scored and he was going down the ice celebrating, they showed a fan behind him. And guys screaming at the top of the lungs at him. And one guy in particular was just like, F you. And they <laughs> are just thought that was the greatest thing. That's why he just loved playing in Toronto. Yeah. Now, speaking of uh, which, Matt Sundin, he always gets sort of, I, I don't want to call him a polarizing captain, but he always gets knocked for not being that type of captain that everybody sort of expected to be, which us as fans, we don't know what that's supposed to be. And I've got one on the line here with us. You as a player... What was your view of him as leading you guys as his captain? Uh, Matt was a great captain. Um, you know, he he was uh, the type of guy that uh, when he spoke, people listened. Uh, he didn't have to do it a lot or didn't do it a lot. Um, you know, we had a lot of guys in that locker room that had been 
captains, whether at the junior level or at the NHL level. Um, so Matt's had a good surrounding cast uh, to, to help him with the leadership uh, aspect of it. Uh, but from a Toronto Maple Leaf captain, um, you know, he, he's uh, an amazing person. Um, you know, it's just, it's too bad we weren't uh, able to win a Stanley Cup and, and, and him hoist it uh, as the captain. But, uh, I mean, as a player, I always looked up to Matt's, uh, you know, he was never the guy that went ahead. He always stood up for his teammates and talked about uh, what was wrong with the hockey club, um, you know, and you got to give him credit. Uh, this is not an easy uh, place to be a captain, as Ricky knows. It's it's a difficult place to play um, as a captain. The pressure is on you each and every night to perform, and he did that uh, very, very well over this course of his time here in Toronto. And, um, you know, there's – been amazing captains through the history of our organization, uh, as Ricky knows as well. And, um, you know, when I look at uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, Matt's ranks up there with Rick and, and the other captains as uh, one of the greats uh, that ever played the game here in Toronto. That was one of the things that I, I was always curious about that because I couldn't believe the fans and how everybody kind of talk about why is he captain and all that kind of stuff. Meanwhile, I'm doing Leafs TV. I'm watching him going out every night, playing exceptionally well, scoring, producing. And, and I thought, like, like, like I don't get it. I, I just I didn't understand why the people thought that. Maybe because he was Swedish and he was maybe be somewhat of a quiet guy. He didn't say a whole lot. Uh, but, I mean, everybody's different. Every captain is different. Some people you know, or quiet, they do it on the ice and, and some are, are a little more vocal. I, I thought he did a fantastic job. Yeah, I'm in, I'm in full agreement of that, Rick. He, he is just a fantastic human being too. Um, you know, his uh, personality and Pat's personality meshed well in the fact that they could speak to each other um, and, and talk about things. Uh, and, you know, you... You don't do what Matt Sundin did in the city of Toronto unless you have a pretty thick um, uh, backbone as well. So you <laughs> you know this as well as I do. This is the toughest market. It's like uh, playing uh, for the Yankees in baseball or uh, you know the New York Knicks in uh, basketball or those L.A. Lakers. You better have some thick skin and uh, and be able to handle those things. And he did it admirably uh, over the course of his time here. And we went. And we did well. Um, we had a pretty good hockey club, went to conference finals. Um, you know, obviously we didn't get over the, the proverbial hump, as you call it, to win the Stanley Cup, but um, you know, we were pretty darn close. On the same lines, you mentioned, and I've always said this, I've always said if you don't have thick skin, you can't play in Toronto. <laughs> Plain and simple, because the, the not just the fans, but the press are bad on it. Like, they're they're always looking for negative things to point out. And I thought during that time, I, you know, I, I don't think, I mean, I was the same way. I had thick skin. I didn't care. R rolled off my back. Of course, we didn't have the covers they have today. But when Mass was there, I always marveled at how calm he was. And he just let it go. And, and I, so I believe he was probably similar to I was where he didn't let it get to him. Yeah, he, he was good that way. And uh you know, um, 
It's, it's good to have other people around you that uh, can take some of the brunt of it too. I think, you know, when you look at uh, when Joe Newendike was here and uh, Gary Roberts and Shane Corson, and, uh, you know, we had some pretty good guys on defense and McCabe and Caverly. Um, you know, we had other guys that could take some of the uh, heat away from that aspect of it, uh, which helped, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's not, uh, it's not something that's uh, like the old days where it was like, hey, it's just the captain. He's going to take the brunt of it. It was a lot of us that, uh, you know, tried to ease that uh, aspect of it for, for our captains as well. So, you know, when Ricky played, it was a lot of, uh, a lot of just the captain. It's got to be just the captain. That's yeah. where it was. Uh, you know, as time has moved on here, and you could see it even now to today, uh, you know, they – they, they surround themselves with a lot of different guys that can take the brunt of that. Well, now, Darcy, you've kind of touched on it already, but we'll go a little bit further with it. I just want to carry along that line. And coming from Western Canada, you know about Maple Leaf Gardens, you know about the Toronto, you know about Scotiabank and all that stuff. So playing in Toronto, though, coming from a hockey hotbed like Montreal, most players, when we asked this to all the guys coming on, and Curtis Joseph just said it was just well beyond his expectations when we asked him this question. But... When you got here and finally got entrenched into the culture of Toronto, being a Toronto Maple Leaf, was it as you expected more or just off the charts? And then even going on the road, seeing the following you got doing that as well. Um, it's not lost on me. My dad grew up a Leafs fan. Um, so becoming a Toronto Maple Leaf was not something that just, okay, I'm going to be a Toronto Maple Leaf. Um, I knew about the rich history. Um, we only got uh, one station where I lived as a kid. So on Saturday nights, it was a lot of it was Toronto Maple Leaf hockey. There wasn't, um, you know, the Oilers and Flames were just becoming, you know, Alberta's uh, teams where they would go on TV once in a while. But it was always watching the Toronto Maple Leafs. It, it, that was my Saturday night. So it wasn't lost on me when I came here. Uh, and then when they play the stuff on the Jumbotron, uh, you know, Guys like Ricky scoring goals, Daryl Sittler, um, Johnny Bauer, the hair on the back of my neck would stand on end. So I, I knew what it was like to be a Toronto Maple Leaf, and I took a lot of pride in the fact that I was representing the Toronto Maple Leafs logo and the city of Toronto wherever I went uh, as a player, wherever we went as a team. So um, I loved being a Toronto Maple Leaf. I still love being a Toronto Maple Leaf. Um, I believe myself to be that. Um, and you know what? has happened over the course of time and Ricky can attest to this is that our alumni association has done an amazing job of uh, bringing us back together where it was lost for a few years. And I think a lot of that was maybe just as I was starting to come a, a Toronto Maple Leaf and through some of my early stages as a Toronto Maple Leaf. And now I look at our alumni association and I look at the guys, uh, they're so extremely happy to, you know, come to the games and be in the uh, alumni box and talk about old stories. And uh, that for me is what keeps us uh, together as a group. Um, so yeah, I, my expectation uh, was high to begin with and it went through the roof as I played here in Toronto and, and even more so now that I'm a retired Toronto Maple Leaf uh, and part of our group of alumni. So it's, uh, it's something that's pretty special and you don't understand it or realize it unless you actually play here for a number of years. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you go into the alumni box at any given event, well, obviously not now, but uh, before the pandemic, and I mean, there's six, seven guys in there uh, and we played, I think, last year, I think about 18 or 19 alumni games. And we went all the way out to Victoria and places like that. 
So, I mean, it, it's a lot of fun. And uh, we didn't have that when I played because, you know, we didn't have anybody to talk to that were alumni because Harold didn't want any of them around. And that's just kind of the way it was. And then all of a sudden that started to change in the early 90s and, and then it got better and better. And our alumni association right now, I put them up against any team in the NHL. Well, speaking of which, we had another alumni on a couple of weeks ago, your brother-in-law, Dars, and uh, when he came to Toronto now, were you influential in him signing with Toronto? Because there were a number of teams that were interested in him at the time. Uh, I don't know if I necessarily was influential in it. Uh, obviously, you know, we're family, and, and that happened uh, when I was in Montreal. Um, mm -hmm. I think more so uh, Shane grew up, uh, you know, outside of Toronto, and um, – his mom uh, being here and his father had uh, passed away. And um, I think the family was pretty influential in the fact that he was going to come back, uh, as they say, home. Um, you know, I, I obviously wanted him to be here. I, you know, I told him numerous times, but it, you know, those decisions have to be left up to the player. You know, it's, you know, life is too short to just, to come home, to come home. Um, you have to make decisions that are going to be the best for you as a, uh, an individual and as a player. But uh, I was extremely happy uh, to have him. He, he's just a great human being. I can't, I can't say enough about Shane as a, as a person. Um, sometimes in life you go through a lot of different things that people don't have any clue that you're going through. Um, you know, and, and we, held that in a lot, uh, you know, when Shane was going through his issues with panic attacks and, and those sorts of things. So, um, you know, I, I, I got a lot of time uh, for Shane Corson and the way he handles himself. And, uh, you know, he's like an older brother to me. He, he absolutely is. Um, I never had an older brother. So um, to have him in my life is pretty special. And, you know, it's been even more special uh, actually in retirement. Uh, we do a lot of family things together and um, we have some serious fun uh, doing them. Uh, and life's too short not to have fun. It's just, you, you can't go through life not uh, enjoying every last minute of it and, uh, and, and taking those experiences with you as you get older. Now, for the record, by the way, he said you did have some influence in him coming to Toronto. So you did you did help us get him. Well, I don't want to give myself all the credit, do I not? <laughs> <laughs> the, um, now, I was going to say this part of it on a little more serious side of that question is now playing with a family member, is it a little harder than people would imagine? Like everybody always think it'd be so great, but, you know, one guy may be going good, another guy may be going through a rough patch, maybe getting yelled at by the coach or something. It, was it? A little tougher to play with a family member at some point only from the aspect that he used to yell at me when he was back checking and skating by me to get my ass <laughs> sometimes uh, that wasn't fun when you got your older brother screaming at you to back check harder because i listen i wasn't the best skater so and he was a pretty darn good one for a bigger guy so you blow by me on the back check and start screaming at me uh, on the ice to smarten my ass up and work harder so maybe from that aspect but no, the other part of it is I was extremely excited to, it didn't matter if we were playing great or we were playing poorly, uh, you know, we had each other to lean on from time to time. And, uh, um, you know, it was, it was fun. I enjoyed those, uh, those times, you know, obviously, uh, you know, people didn't know the background or the other part of it, uh, what Shane was going through. So, 
when there was things in the press that uh, were said about uh, certain aspects of it, it did bother us. But uh, like Ricky said, you got to have some thick skin to play here. So we kind of, for the most part, let it roll off our backs and we knew what was going on. Um, and like I said earlier, uh, we had a lot of fun. And <laughs> when, when you're playing the game and you got a brother alongside you uh, and you have fun with him, uh, you'll never forget those memories for sure. No, I remember a few trips in Newfoundland and Halifax with you guys, and, and it, it was fun. Trust me. <laughs> it was, for of course, I of course I I was long gone by the time they they even went out. Probably started in the hotel bar, and by the time I went to bed, they were just going out. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you're probably getting up when we're coming in, eh, Ricky. <laughs> well, as I said at the beginning of this, call, hey, as I said at the beginning of this call, uh, anybody who gets a chance to go on a Molson trip with Darcy Tucker and Shane Corson, <laughs> sign up immediately to run down and grab your ticket, okay? Because I guarantee you, would not not have fun. Now, speaking of which, we've got a couple minutes left, and uh, Darcy, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. You know, you give a very, very busy schedule. Um, a couple of fun questions here for you. Who was one of the bigger pranksters you played with throughout your career? Oh, gosh. Uh, I played with a few. Adam Foote in Colorado was a pretty big prankster. Um, he had a big personality. I really enjoyed my time playing in Colorado with him. Um, and we had some fun here in Toronto. There was guys that were pranksters. Uh, you know, Travis Green is a pretty big prankster. Um, he's coach of Vancouver now. Um, yeah. I I enjoyed playing with him uh, and seeing some of the fun stuff that he would do to guys. Uh, Want gear. to share one with us? Give us one of the is, is who he got somebody one night. I'll share an out of foot one with you because some of the stuff, uh, other stuff, we probably couldn't uh, lose. So, out of foot and I were in Colorado, and we had a young guy, TJ Galliardi, on the team, and uh, it was his first uh, time up with a hockey club, and he just bought these blue suede shoes that he was going to wear on the road. So we had one of those maintenance days as they call them now, uh, Adam and I. So we were taking a steamer and a hot tub and a, getting ourselves ready to go on the road trip. And uh, we grabbed his blue suede shoes and on the back of them with a marker, we wrote the number nine with a line underneath like bowling shoes. And you can't get permanent marker on blue suede shoes if you tried to. So he had to wear those blue suede shoes around on the road trip looking like he was going to the bowling alley and he was definitely not happy about it. And he's like, I, I spent $500. It's like, I'm like, dude, you, you got to get some sort of Ricky initiation. Trust me. That's half of the, half of what I would have got. My tie would have been cut when I was playing. Oh, boy, Squid, can you match yeah, that one? You always come up with one. Well, no, I, you know what the, the best one, uh, well, actually, the best one I can remember is probably the guys used to put uh, baby powder in the hair dryer. And so whoever came out of the shower first would get the hair dryer and get, it would go everywhere. Well, this one time somebody had done it before practice and we were on the ice. And of course, Harold goes in and gets his legs rubbed and everything every morning and goes in and has a shower. Well, he was the one that happened to get the, the bill dryer with. <laughs> so it was everywhere and it was all over him. We came off the ice, he's standing there and he's laughing though. He loved it. He said, that was hilarious. He goes, I don't know who thought of that, but that was the best prank I've ever heard of. And we're like stunned because 
we look and we go, oh my God, we're we're shit now. And <laughs> but he loved it. You well, thought you were all getting fined, Ricky. What's that? <laughs> you thought you were all getting fined from the big boy. <laughs> well, no, it was probably worse than that. We thought we were all gonna get traded, but um, but he he loved the he loved the prank, so that that just made it uh, that much better for us. Well, Jimmy Thompson, when he was LA, told me a story one time that he was getting pranked a few times with the, the baby powder in the hair dryer, and he thought enough. Finally, he got into the rink early one day, and he thought he would get somebody else. Finally, so he did it, and unfortunately, number ninety-nine picked up the hair dryer, and he got him full in the face. <laughs> and he didn't sleep for a week. He was so scared that he was going to get in trouble. So sometimes those things can backfire on you. Um, Doris, while we have you, you guys came up with a very creative idea a number of years ago. Uh, the cool line, I think it was called your clothing. Who came up with that? And are you guys still doing anything along those lines? Uh, no, it was a project with uh, uh, Shane and a friend of ours. And um, uh, no, we we haven't been involved in that since uh, I left to go to Colorado to play. It's too hard to run a, a business and uh, and you're not in the same country. <laughs> so yeah, a little tough. We ended up uh, selling it off. Well, how'd you come up with the idea of uh, the Bill Barocco twist? Well, that was the playoffs uh, that year. Uh, You know, I think any team tries to um, grab something that they can hang on to to take through the playoffs. Uh, And the BB-16 was obviously uh, the fact that you had to win 16 games and uh, and, uh, Bill Barocco was, uh, you know, something that obviously uh, we we needed to rally around uh, that playoff year. And, um, you know, I remember uh, speaking to the guys about it putting it together and uh, it was something that uh, we thought would uh, be, be great for the hockey team well those hot hats were the hottest selling item in toronto at the time i can tell you and if there's any still around they're real collector's items i can tell you that much so yeah they are i i, I don't know if there's any still around but that, that'd be great if you could find one yeah I've, i haven't seen them over the years yeah. but used to see them everywhere during that period a couple last questions before you do we do officially let you go now where where is the strangest place you've run into a maple leaf fan in your travels oh gosh uh number of times we've been on holidays and ran into maple leafs fans um we were in anguilla i guess two years ago um and Shane and I were walking to our favorite spot, the pool bar, and, uh, and uh, no, that, that's a surprise to me. Shocker. <laughs> and uh, and uh, we hear somebody yell out, Corson Tucker, and uh, there's uh, a family uh, sitting there with their Leafs, uh, Leafs uh, t-shirts on, and needless to say, Shane and I had a few few pops and uh, didn't have to pay for them that day it was uh, it was interesting but yeah you run into different leaf fans uh, in your travels uh, and we travel a lot together uh, in the summer times uh, you know since we sold our cottages up in Muskoka we've uh, put a plan in place to you know, obviously we couldn't do it this year uh, to travel as a family across the world to see different uh, places and give our kids an opportunity to get some culture in their lives and um, it's been uh, an eye-opening experience how many Leafs fans are across the world, I'll tell you that. Well, uh, and funny, final question for me, sorry, Squid, Mike. you can throw, go ahead, Squid, throw something in there. Yeah, it, it's amazing, uh, Darcy, you brought that up because I never really thought about that, but I can't remember a trip that I went to Cuba, Hawaii, or wherever the heck it was where I didn't run into Leaf fans at the pool or like you say, at the pool 
bar or whatever. Uh, it's just amazing. Like, you know, all of a sudden you hear someone say, Rick Vive, and you turn around and there's four or five Leaf fans <laughs> sitting there. And so I, I think that's pretty cool. I never thought of it until you mentioned that. And I thought, you know, come to think of it, I met a lot of them on the road on vacations as well. Yeah. Well, I can I can tell you that uh, Debbie, for my 60th birthday, took me to Africa for a safari. So we're walking in this shanty town called Arusha, near Arusha, and it's not a pleasant area, believe me. And we're walking along, and I hear this motorcycle come over the path towards us, and the guy's wearing a Daryl Sittler sweater. Come on. I thought, oh, yeah, honest to God. And I thought, oh, my God. Okay, that's it. And we broke up howling with laughter. And the people are looking at us while we're laughing. I just said the sweater. The sweater. You know, I, I've never seen that. And it was in Africa. So yeah. that was the one. Um, Doris, before we let you go, last one here. What do you think of this current version of the Toronto Maple Leafs? Uh, I, I like it. I like the additions. Uh, for me, um, you know that I like uh, guys that play the game with a little bit of uh, – rambunctious uh, part Correct. of their personality, yes. And uh, Wayne Simmons has brought a different element to the team. I think it just adds something to the group. And anytime you can add an older guy with leadership, uh, that'll help the young guys get through certain aspects. And the growth of the younger player uh, has been good in this scenario. You know, Austin's playing uh, lights out. Uh, Marner's got the some passion for the game uh, that uh, he, he brings each and every night uh, from the aspect that he's going to get the puck to these guys. And so I, I like the team. Um, I think they've taken a step forward. I think this year is and uh, being uh, what it is, this could be one of those times where everything kind of comes together. Wouldn't it be special that Toronto Maple Leafs won a Stanley Cup and nobody could go to the parade? <laughs> it would be like, what the heck? What the heck would we do? Like, we, it would be a different uh, aspect of it, but uh, we'll take it yeah. if we can get it, eh, Ricky? Anyway, oh, absolutely. Rick? Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I think, if anything, this is a year where it, the possibilities are even greater with the Canadian division. Uh, obviously, they're the best team in, in Canada right now. And I mean, but I, I love what you said. I, I, I've loved the, the maturation of Matthews and Marner and these guys. You know, they, they came in and, you know, they did good things, don't get me wrong. But the way they've matured, I think, over the last two or three years has really caught my eye, especially Matthews, who uh, I think maybe that incident in Arizona probably was a little embarrassing to him. Uh, maybe a little wake-up call. And now, since then, he's been training like crazy, working with McDavid, training with him. I mean, who better to train with than probably the fastest guy in the league? And, and I see a big difference in his game uh, today because of that. I want to say, uh, listen, it's been another goes, – time goes too quick all the time. Dars, <laughs> want to thank you so much for joining us today. Great guest. Uh, we've got the whole family now. We've had both sides. Uh, so I have to, we're actually, what we're going to probably do at some point, if we get uh, deeper and get you both on and uh, get you guys going back and forth at some point. So uh, anyway, you yeah, want to well, think? If, yeah. If we want to hear the truth, we, we, we probably should have had the wives <laughs> on. They could probably tell us more about these guys than they will. <laughs> no chance, Ricky. <laughs> no, I think we'll leave that alone. We'll leave that alone, maybe, Rick. Or we'll pull Joyce on for you. Okay, then we'll get the real stories. That's right. 
Okay, so listen, Darcy, I want to thank you so much. Listen, uh, best of luck to your son with his uh, uh, hockey playing. He seems to be uh, on the right track again. So um, all the best to you. And listen, man, we'll be talking to you soon. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks a lot. Well, there's a guy, you know, not only did he play with his emotions on his sleeve, he wears his heart on his sleeve away from the rink, and the pride you can just see just oozes out of the guy to wear that Maple Leaf crest on the front of his jersey. Well, I, I think the most impressive thing is, is the way he carries himself away from uh, what, not being a player, when, he, when he's around fans yeah. and stuff. Like I, I've experienced it with him and, and his brother-in-law, Shane, and, and a lot of other guys going to Newfoundland, Halifax, Victoria, you name it. We've been all over the country playing for the, the Leaf alumni. And one thing I will say is that these guys are all fantastic individuals. Guys I haven't played with before uh, that played after me, or in some cases even before me, and uh, not very many though. <laughs> I'm not sure they can. Most of them can skate that fast anymore. But I mean, it, it's been like a real treat for me because I'm kind of one of the older guys, and to get to know these younger guys that played after me, uh, they're, they're all fantastic people. No, and, I, and I've had the, the pleasure of uh, being around uh, a number of these guys and they're all from, you know, from Doug to Gilmore to Wendell Clark to Darcy and uh, Shane and yourself, Curtis Joseph, all ally Frady. You guys are all, for us who have grown up cheering for the Maple Leafs, you give everybody what they're looking for. You give them that little taste to be a part of it. Uh, everybody's very accommodating. And what everybody comes across very clearly, that you guys are hockey fans first, your players second, and the relationship you have with the fans is second to none. And I, I just, it just, once again, puts forward why hockey players are the best. And we have a lot of fun doing it. <laughs> and that is absolutely true. And as I said, folks, I think this is the third time I've said it on the podcast. If you ever get a chance to go on one of these trips with uh, Darcy Tucker, even Squid here is oh, a lot of fun too. But Darcy and Shane or Ally Afraidy, you will not be disappointed. Trust me, trust me, trust me. Those guys are a barrel of laughs. So, Squid, we come to that point in time again where we have to say goodbye. Another good show. We enjoyed having Darcy on. Great stories. Very intense guy. Very focused. Yeah. And you can see why he played with the passion he did and why the fans are so in love with this guy. So, anyway, another week goes by. Uh, you know, look us up on uh, Squid and the Ultimate Leafs Man. Find Ricky on Instagram. Look for us on Apple and iTunes. And guys, send us any of your requests or comments you may have about the show. And in the meantime, everybody enjoy the week. Let's have the Leafs win a couple more games coming up, and we'll talk to you guys next week.